All right, everyone, if you want to start drawing back together. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you'll know that we've taken a, taken a step back, a little pause from the series that we've been doing, looking at uh, Genesis, the book of Genesis. And over the last couple of weeks, as we've taken this pause from looking at uh, the chapters of Genesis and going through Genesis, we've been looking at some of the themes, some of the big themes that are pulled out um, from the first 11 chapters. We've been thinking about God's heart for his people, how God wants to dwell with us as his people, how God created us to find joy in him. And then this morning, we're going to finish this little series looking at God's heart for his people by thinking about how God is faithful to us. Hopefully, you noticed as Jason was reading from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7 there, verses 6 to 11. And if you've got your Bibles, uh, maybe you can open them again there. In verse 9, God says, Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and obey his command. The Lord your God is God, the faithful God. What, what comes to mind as you hear that word, faithful? What is it that you think of? What's the pictures in your mind that you associate with the word faithful. Maybe, maybe it's a faithful pet, a faithful dog, that's kind of forever running around, your, running around your heels, following you around as you walk around the house. Maybe it's, maybe it's a sidekick. Maybe it's um, one of my favorite fictional characters is Sherlock Holmes. He has a faithful companion in Dr. Watson who goes everywhere with him, who observes everything that he does and writes it down in the stories, presenting it to us to read in the, in the fictional manner. A faithful companion, a dog, or a sidekick. Maybe you think of something a bit deeper still, the faithfulness of a husband to a wife or a wife to a husband, that kind of faithfulness. All of those pictures of faithfulness talk about affection, don't they? Some kind of affection, some kind of dependability, some kind of loyalty, some kind of devotion, maybe some kind of truthfulness. But if we take this word here in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9, if we go back to the Hebrew, and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the Hebrew word here because I would mangle it. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. If we take it and look at it, and we looked through the whole of the rest of the Bible, we'd actually find it's translated, or the root of it is translated in different ways. And that helps us to understand what it means for God to be faithful. And it's going to be slightly different to that picture that we might have of the faithful companion 
or the faithfulness in a marriage. Other ways in this, which this word is translated mean confirmation, support, trustworthiness, surety, being established, and being enduring, going on for eternity. As we look closer at these verses, we'll see those characteristics are repeated and reiterated in what God says. But if we think back to Genesis chapter 3, are Adam and Eve trustworthy with the command that God gave them in chapter 2, not to eat from the fruit of the tree? Is Cain trustworthy as he goes to his brother Abel and murders him? Is Noah trustworthy and sure as God brings him out of the ark, through the ark and through the flood, eventually for him to be seen naked by his sons? God here in Deuteronomy is talking to the nation of Israel after he's given them the law, as coming out of the desert. Were they trustworthy and sure? No. The whole of this story of the Old Testament is about that. And even as God gave them the law the first time, what were they doing? But building an idol to worship instead of the Lord their God. Am I? Do I have those same characteristics of God being faithful? No. I don't. There's times that I'm not trustworthy, sure. I'm not going to endure without God. And I'm sure the same, the same is true for you as well. God being faithful, and he confirms, he supports, he's trustworthy, he's sure, he's established and enduring. So before we go deeper into these verses to think about them more, let's just spend a moment in prayer and then we'll go back and have a look at verse 6 onwards. Father God, we just thank you that we can open your, open your word this morning. We thank you that we've got this time that we can spend with you, before you and before your word. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful. You are trustworthy. You are sure. And you endure through all eternity. And Father, we just pray that this morning that you'd open your word to us. That Lord, you'd help me to speak truthfully from it. And Lord, I pray that we'd all just be able to be touched by your word this morning. That we'd all see how your love for us born out in your faithfulness to us, encourages us and challenges us, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to hear and to step away from here this morning, being able to walk closer to you, drawing closer to Jesus, Lord. Amen. Verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 7, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. It's to this people, this holy people, that God is speaking and says that he is faithful. But if we went out into, not in a car this morning, and we said, 
we as a church, we as the chosen people of God, we're holy. What kind of reaction do you think that would get from the average person on the street? Do you think that the average person is kind of thinking, oh, holiness, that's something that I really want to desire, that I really want to go after? I guess our picture of holiness as a society is kind of driven by the idea of withdrawing and becoming maybe a monk or a nun or something like that and hiding away, separating ourselves. C.S. Lewis said, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it's irresistible. It's irresistible. God here has said to the people of Israel, you are holy, set apart. And that should be irresistible to the people around them to see that God is their God, the faithful God. Now, at the beginning of this verse, God says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. He's given them a command before which kind of says to them, okay, right, go away and do something. And I'm telling you to do that because you are a people, holy, set apart to the Lord your God. And in that previous verse, he tells them to go and pull down the idols in Canaan, to burn down the, the worship poles that the people around in Canaan, in the land that he's giving to them, would have had. He tells them to have nothing to do with those other small g gods because they are holy. They are chosen as God's people. They are set apart for him. They're to have nothing to do with those idols that are being worshipped in the land. God says more. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people. What does it mean to be holy? To be for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. We kind of of read that and we skip over it. But this tells us something really, really important about how God loves us for his treasured possession. Now, we have to understand that if you go back into into the time that Deuteronomy was being written, the king who ruled over a land had the kind of national, the national exchequer, we might talk about it, the, the revenue that he used to keep the country running, and then he had his own personal collection which were his treasured possessions. God says, I have chosen you to be my treasured possessions. You, as a people, I have chosen and I love you like the treasured possessions in my personal collection, my personal royal treasures. That is how God loves the people that he has chosen. I was trying to think how to explain this, to give, give an example of what this might be today. And the, the only thing that I could come up with was 
if you know, do you know, uh, some of you will know Liam O'Neill, who uh, is uh, the elder down in um, Furbo Baptist Church. He's an amazing wood turner. He makes the most beautiful wooden objects. And, and they, he puts so much care and craft into them. And some of those have been given as gifts by the president of Ireland that have gone into the personal collections of the royal house of the UK, the royal house, the imperial house of Japan. Those gifts have gone into the personal collections, the royal treasures, not to be used to keep the country running, but to be observed and looked after and loved and treasured by the emperor, by the king and queen. God says that to these people here. You are holy, chosen, exclusively set apart as my royal treasure, owned by God personally, loved by God personally. This is a faithful love that we see repeated in the New Testament. The same language of God having a treasured possession is used in Ephesians of the church. In Titus, of God's people belonging to him, a people of his own. In 1 Peter, a people belonging to God who are called to be holy. God's love is consistent, is faithful. And those of us who follow Jesus this morning, who've accepted Jesus as Savior, God says, I love you like a treasured possession. And we see that love faithful through the whole of eternity. You are God's treasured possession. And it was not because you were more in number, in verse 7, than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt." Again, we're seeing what it means here for God to be faithful. God is trustworthy here. He's sworn to their forefathers, to their fathers, an oath. We'll read about it as we come to Genesis chapter 12, where God says that through the family of Abraham, he's going to bring blessing to all the earth. And through this choosing of Israel through this setting apart of them as a chosen people, as God's treasured possession. We see that God is being faithful to the promises that he has made, being true to himself, true to his character, true to this covenant treaty that he has made with Abraham and keeping his identity in keeping with his identity. If you've, if you've seen uh, 
the film of The Lord of the Rings, or if you've read the book of The Lord of the Rings, towards the end of it, the great hero, Aragorn, who's going to become the king in Middle-earth, he goes to the tombs of the dead. And they have sworn to his forefathers that they will support him and support his family. But they broke their oath. They didn't support at the time of need, so they're trapped. Aragorn goes to them and says, I can free you if you remember your promise. And so they say, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm going to be freed from this, this trap, and I'm going to come and support you. And so they spread fear ahead of Aragorn as he goes into battle. And they, they kind of win the battle for him by spreading fear ahead of him. But only because he went and reminded them of the promise. Is that what Israel has to do with God? Do Israel need to go to God and say, God, you swore an oath to our forefathers. Are you going to keep it? As we read the Bible and see the promises that God has made to us, do we need to go to God like Aragorn did to the dead and say, God, you need to keep your promise to us. Be reminded of it. No. God is remembering his promise here. Because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. God didn't bring Israel out of slavery in Egypt as innocent victims. When God, at the end of Genesis chapter 3, clothes Adam and Eve before casting them out of the garden, he doesn't do it because they're innocent dupes of the serpent. God does it because he loves them. God loves Israel, so he rescues them from slavery to Pharaoh. God clothed Adam and Eve because he, they're his creation. He made them and he loved them and he's showing his mercy and his grace to them as he clothes them. Romans chapter 6 says that we have been slaves to sin just as Israel was slaves to Pharaoh. I am not innocent of sin. But because God loves us, he sent Jesus into the world. Because Jesus loves us as God loves us, he went to the cross and died for us. God's power to rescue is an overwhelming display of his love for his people. We see it pictured as he brings Israel out of Egypt and out of slavery. And we see it as we look to Jesus on the cross on Good Friday. And we see God's overwhelming display of his power to defeat sin and death as we see Jesus raised again on Easter Sunday. And we see that God 
He's keeping his promises. That God is faithful. And so we come back to verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Or, as we read in Psalm 117, forever. Forever. God keeps his promises. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast, sure love. That steadfast, it makes me think of firm foundations like you've got in a really well-built house that isn't going to get blown down in the wind. Steadfast love that goes on for a thousand generations. And as we read that a thousand generations, we're supposed to see forever, for eternity, enduring, established love. Now, we read, we read that and we think this is, this is all amazing, isn't it? This is fantastic. But God says there is a there is a flip side. There is a flip side to his faithfulness. There is a flip side to these promises. God repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. We've seen this before, haven't we? In Genesis chapter 2 and 3, God says, God gives a promise to Adam and Eve. If you eat, of the fruit of the tree, you will surely die. When they are in Genesis 3 and they, they sin and they eat, God punishes them. He casts them out, but not before clothing them, not before giving them a promise, not before displaying his grace to them giving them an opportunity and continuing to show his faithfulness by giving them the chance to go out and start fulfilling the mission that he gave them to go into the world. If it wasn't for that grace, that same grace, that same faithful grace, we would never have heard of Jesus. We would never have had the opportunity to respond to Jesus. But we also need to know that God says in 1 Peter, there will be times when we face, as Christians, suffering and trials. That it's not always going to be easy or rosy for us as we follow Jesus. God is God. The, Lord God. the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations.
that should encourage us because there are promises that God has made to us today as well. We are his chosen people. We, as God's people, are his treasured possessions. Jesus promises in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. We saw as Jason preached a couple of weeks ago from Revelation, the promise of being able to dwell with God in heaven for all eternity. God is faithful, steadfast, sure, trustworthy, enduring to keep those promises. Maybe today you find it hard to trust those promises. Maybe today you think those promises are not for me. I am not good enough for God to give those promises to What did God say to Israel? You were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the promise he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out. A chosen people, a treasured possession. If you feel like that this morning, that that God, that you are not good, good enough for God, be encouraged. Remember that God chose you, chose Israel, to be a treasured possession for him. Maybe, maybe it's not that you feel that you're not good enough for God. Maybe it's that you feel that you don't need God this morning. But that, if you feel like you don't need God, is setting up an idol. God's people were called to tear down those idols, to have nothing to do with them. Those were other gods with a small g, other religions. Maybe that's not what it is that is your idol today. Maybe maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your family that you put ahead of God. Maybe it's your your body, your health, your fitness that you put ahead of God. Those are just some of the things that our society teaches us to worship. But they're unfaithful. We only have to look at what's happening across the world to see that, that jobs and careers can just be taken away from us. That we only have to look into our own experience to know that our families can let us down. Our bodies break and let us down. But God is God, faithful and trustworthy and sure and true. That's where we need to look for our comfort. Or maybe this morning there's something that you're finding hard to trust in the promises of God. Maybe you failed to, you're struggling to see what God, God's plans are for you. Maybe it's something else that you're struggling with in the promises of God. 
Maybe, maybe you just feel like God is separate from you this morning. But as we, if you go into the Old Testament, you can go through it and read, and you'll find times when God says, as I was with Moses, he says to Joshua, so I will be with you. When it looked like God wasn't talking to his people anymore, 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1 says, in the days where the word of the Lord was rare, what happens? God talks to Samuel and brings himself back into the life of Israel. Be encouraged that God is faithful and trustworthy and sure and keeps his promises. And just as we close, you can read through into 2 Samuel and you can pick up on that idea that God, in the days when the word of the Lord was rare from 1 Samuel, begins to establish this enduring, everlasting kingship that we see in Jesus. He promises it to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And as God gives that promise to David, David's response is the most amazing prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord. A response to a, to a promise of faithfulness that David trusted in. And just before we sing in response to God and his faithfulness and give him praise by singing the words of the amazing hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, O God our Father. Let's just spend a moment in prayer as David did to the Lord and thank him for his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we, th we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that we see your faithfulness in, in the promises that you have kept in the Old Testament. We thank you for your faithfulness to the promises that you made to the fathers of Israel. And we thank you that you brought Israel out of slavery as a picture of what it is for you to bring us out of slavery to sin. The amazing rescue that you instituted through your love for us in sending Jesus into the world and Jesus' love for us shown in his death on the cross, taking our place. Father, we thank you for the promises that we see in the New Testament that relate to us. Thank you for the promise of being able to dwell with you in heaven. Thank you for the promise that if we confess to you our sin, the times we've turned away from you, you are faithful and just and forgive us our sin. Father, thank you that we can come before you and offer you praise and thanksgiving and worship for your faithfulness to us. And Lord, I just pray that you'd encourage us as we go, that we will see your promises to us fully fulfilled, whether 
whether we see them developing in us and us growing as followers of Jesus now and today and tomorrow, or whether we see them fully fulfilled at the end of time when we meet with you in heaven, Lord. We just thank you that we, we can know that we will see your promises fulfilled because you are true and trustworthy and sure and faithful and enduring and established.